You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin by calling in the spirits to be with us here today. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine, to all of those people who've come before us, who lived well and died well, and bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us, bringing to us the legacy of our lines, our father's fathers, our mother's fathers, our father's mothers, and our mother's mothers. All of these lines that have gone before us carry a rich legacy And we ask for these ancestors to gather round, to bring to us the wealth of their knowledge, all of the things they learned to do and all of the things they learned not to do, and how they learned to do them, so that we might be supported in that which we are called to do in this life. We are the living. It is our time. And may we execute this time. May we do what we are here to do in a good way, a way that shows the the gathering of wisdom, the use of our skills. And the willingness to set aside simple, um, immediate gratification for something greater, something more, something that is possible um, that would allow us to leave the world in a better way for those who are coming. So I call out for these ancestors to gather around us here today and to help us to do what we were born to do. And with these ancestors gathered around and with great gratitude for their presence, we turn our awareness within and move our consciousness, our energy from our head to our heart and our heart to our belly. And from our belly, we begin to reach through our grounding cord into the earth. And we take a moment as we touch the earth in this way, perhaps for the first time today, to touch the earth and say thank you, to say great gratitude from your heart for this particular day, for life for the beauty and the diversity around us, for the challenges that life brings that help to bring out that which is truly great within us. And we give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming that brought life as we know it to the face of this planet. And we give thanks for a moment, you know, in a wonder-filled, awestruck moment. We give thanks for life itself this miracle that we each carry. And may we take a moment and restore in ourselves our understanding that we need to live in a way that honors that miracle every day. And with great gratitude to the earth, we reach down through all the layers of the earth, reaching through the crust of the earth on which we live, into the molten layers, all the way to the very core of the earth. And in that core of the earth, let us anchor our energy firmly, And to call up the energy of the earth into our life, into these proceedings, into our day. We ask the energy of the earth to rise up into us and bring to us the wisdom of manifestation. How to be here in form in a good way. 
And as we draw the energy of the earth, the energy of restoration and rejuvenation, replenishment, we draw this energy up into our body. We draw into ourselves the ability to choose to be grounded, to choose to create within ourselves a sense of home, a sense of peace and justice and accountability, a sense of hearth, a sense of belonging. And we do this in a way that it is not locked into a particular place, into a particular nation, but we begin to, uh, but that we can bring that with us wherever we go so that we can begin to be emissaries for the calling together of the great diversity of the family of humanity and bring out of that diversity the gifts that are necessary for the challenge that's, challenges that face us in this moment. So we give thanks to the earth for the ability to do these things and may we translate the earth's energy into this capacity within each one of us. And in this way, may we connect more authentically, more honestly, more, more productively to ourselves, to others, to the environment around us and may we feel connection and interconnection and ultimately the oneness of all things. And from that moment of oneness, may we come into truly right relationship with ourselves and bring that sense of awareness into all that we do in this day. So with the earth energy resident within us and moving in us, let us draw it from our bellies to our hearts and our hearts to our minds as we rise up like a great fountain of energy rising up through the sky when whatever weather it holds for you today, out through the sky, out through the atmosphere, and out into the cosmos. And we reach in this way all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by, by whatever name you know this energy, know it and call it down, drawing into yourself, drawing into your day, drawing into these proceedings, the energy of above, the energy of the heavens, drawing in this divine energy that brings to us the innate energy of blessing. So we call blessings into ourselves, blessing into this day, and we call in protection. We call in generosity and benevolence and the beneficence of this universe. We draw these energies in, into ourself, into our day. And in this way, we call out from ourselves, uh, for the energy of mentors, the energy of champions. And we, we notice in ourselves in our day where we are being called to be mentors and champions for others. There is not one of us that can do what we have come here to do alone. And may we come to understand through these energies of earth and sky that while we are individuals with an individual purpose and that it is necessary for us to bring that into the world, there is nothing that we do that does not also have an impact on community. And let us bring that dual awareness into our everyday. And so as we draw the energy from above down, from our head to our heart to our belly, let's take a moment and feel the great relief as the energies of heaven and earth dance within us, the great, the great lovers of yin and yang energy coming together in the big love inside of ourselves, giving us the energy that we need to do what the living are intended to do. And with that big love inside of ourselves, let us awaken the energy of the heart. We call out to the heart to be that crucible of transformation that it uniquely is designed to be, to hold and call up the powerful passions and desires of our lower chakras and draw down the crystal clarity from our higher chakras 
into the heart where these two energies come together in a complementary dualism that dances and tangos and passionately moves together to give birth to a third energy and that is the energy of your soul's purpose and may you find in that very same heart the courage to do something large or small in this day to bring that soul's purpose into manifestation and we give great gratitude to all of the spirit energies gathered around us at all times to help us to do this good work may what needs to be said be said and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things and I give um, great gratitude to Deb and Bill and Liza and Teresa and all of the listeners who have been able to donate financially to the show to help me to pay the bills that keeps the show on the air. Um, I give great gratitude to you. If you would like to donate to the show, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com and <gasps> look what you'll all find, the brand new Why Shamanism Now website. We have redesigned the site, um, responding to your requests um, for things like a search function and um, with over 200 shows, a search function was a really good idea. And also um, very soon, within days, the opportunity to set things up for you to make a monthly donation. For those of you that have asked, you know, couldn't you just make this so this happens easily, Christina? So we are trying. We are responding. So please uh, go to the whyshamanismnow.com site. Um, check out the new site. Let us know what you think. And um, there is a place to donate, as there was before. You can donate any amount, large or small. Um, and it all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. So we are very grateful for those of you who are able to donate. And for those who are not, we ask you to do something. If the show moves you in any way, please let it move you into action to do something to help the show to grow, to be strong, to be vital, Um for the website to be found, link it to your site, um, bring the teachings into your own journey circle, bring them into your life, create your own journey circle, um, whatever it is, send questions, show ideas, do whatever you can do to help the show be strong and relevant um, and valuable in the world. So I thank you all for all the many things that you do and um, welcome to Why Shamanism Now, the new site and um, the new world. So today, um, our topic is good witch, bad witch. Um, it's actually a continuation of last week's show. Last week, we um, talked with Paul Levy about his book, Dispelling Wetiko, um, Breaking the Curse of Evil, which I highly recommend. Um, oh, I forgot to tell you we are live um, this week. And um, you can call in if you have questions about today's topic. Uh, you can call in at 512-772-1938. You can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or email us at christina at lastmaskcenter.org, lastmaskcenter.org, and I would be happy to read your question on the air. Um, and also, I forgot to mention um, our great gratitude to Co-Creator Network and Ken for editing all of the earlier shows that had commercials. They were produced with a different pr producer, and they had annoying commercials every 15 minutes. And um, Ken is editing those shows. And so the, the earlier archived shows, all of 2009 and the beginning of 2010, um, are shorter now. But thank goodness they're shorter because we took all of those hideous commercials out. Um, and so we're grateful for that as well. So there's many changes. Um, and they're all available for you at the new site at whyshamanismnow.com. Um, 
All right. So back to the topic at hand. Good witch, bad witch. So witches, vampires, werewolves, the living dead, they appear in our dreams and nightmares and our fairy tales. They also appear in our journeys and they appear as manifestations of illnesses in shamanic healings. So are they real or are they our imagination? Like the Wetiko virus we discussed um, last week with Paul, evil, harmful intrusive energies um, may not be physically manifest, yet they are present in our lives and profoundly affect our physical well-being and the well-being of our um, entire family of humanity. So it's important for us to understand why and how these characters exist in the first place. And perhaps more important to understand what calls them to us. And finally, how do we protect ourselves from these energies? So before I go any further, I would like to clarify um, one thing. When I use the term witches, I mean the storybook witch, the icon Uh, The witch as in Hansel and Gretel or the Wizard of Oz. I do not mean in any way to refer to practitioners of Wiccan traditions in the past, present, or future. Um, That I'm using this in more of the colloquial sense and in that storybook sense of this um, energy that shows up. It's, um, you could almost make a silhouette, you know, men's room, women's room, witch's room, that, that, that cultural icon. And so please, those of you who are um, beautiful and responsible Wiccan pra- practitioners, I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking to these iconic bad guys, vampires, werewolves, um, the living dead, um, why do they keep showing up? If they're not real, why, are, why do they continue to live with us? So the witch then is an icon for something driven by an inner pain to harm others with skilled and a magical abuse of power. Could also use sorcerer, but it's interesting. You know, we don't have this sort of shared iconic idea of sorcerer. It's very confused. It gets very confused with shamans. And that's not really what today's show is about. Well, we could have a show about that. That's not today's show. Today's show is really about these iconic bad guys like vampires who are, of course, an icon for something so disconnected from its own life force i.e. dead, uh, that it must prey literally and ruthlessly on the life force of others. And then, of course, with these vampires that come into our lives, there's all the protocol around that. What did you do to invite them in? If they are present, if they are in your space, what did you do to invite them in? All of these, um, uh, all the lore around these different beings Um, is important because it talks about a particular pattern of energy, a particular relationship of energy we are creating. Um, Okay, so there's werewolves, and they're an icon for something powerless to manage their inner wildness, which is seen as a remorseless savage killer when it takes over. And then there's a living dead who are icons for living dead. (laughs) I mean pretty common today you know why are zombies so popular well go to the mall they're everywhere uh 
for some, you know, so this is the icon for something that is just going through the motions of life without connection, without passion, without heart, while feeding off others um, when they don't even need to eat. Right? It's just this basic instinct of, of consuming, right? And that their life and that, the, and that the idea is to try to cover up then this horrible, unremitting pain and suffering and the misery of being a zombie, being the living dead. So it, it really isn't that hard. Well, anyway. Okay. So we could also include serial killers. They've become a cultural icon um, or a Jekyll and Hyde figure. These are all sort of iconic bad guys that are a certain pattern of energy um, that we can come into relationship with. And um, all of these are descriptions of what happens when people lack the courage to address their own inner pain and shadow and act in the world from this place of denial, denying their own inner pain, their own shadow, and try to act in the world uh, without paying attention to what life has given them to pay attention to. So I began thinking about this many years ago, actually. I was in a relationship dojo um, with... um, which was a, a week-long workshop in Arnie Mendel's um, process-oriented psychology training in that work, which is, a, for those of you that don't know, it's um, Google process-oriented psychology. It's a multicultural, multi-level awareness practice, which includes people and their natural environment. You know, in other words, it's a really um, valuable psychological process to learn because it dovetails well with shamanism and if you're interested in shamanism it's important to have um, uh, a way to understand the psychology in your life uh, through a lens that is complementary to shamanism Um, because otherwise you're just um, short-circuiting between the two so in this uh, retreat this was back in my younger years and I was, frankly, um, interested in finding a life partner who had some skills, particularly skills to do process-oriented psychology, to be able to um, bring some kind of inner awareness to their psycho-emotional baggage such that I was not required to endeavor to do that for them, which is a typical dynamic in America between men and women. Um, it can go the other way. Don't be insulted, those men who actually get called on doing it for women. But it tends to go um, with women being responsible for the emotional health of the relationship, which is a really bad idea, everybody, because women aren't any better at it than men are. That basically we as humans need to become skilled at it. But that's not my point of the show. The point of the show is just I'm at this workshop and I'm looking to be honest. And I'm having this very bizarre experience because in, when you're doing process-oriented psychology, you're, you're really being encouraged to be aware on all channels all the time. And so I'm having this experience in this room full of people, which is, you know, got over 100 people in the room, where I look at, I'm sort of looking in the room and listening to people sharing, and I see these bubbles appear over people's head that say things like serial killer vampire, uh, Jekyll and Hyde. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And this is happening for days. This is, It's a week long, if, at week seven days. I don't know how long it was. But anyway, it was a while and this was happening for days. 
and and I just noticed it, and I didn't really know what to make of it. Um, it's not like I didn't have my own stuff to work on. Um, but what I noticed over the days as people shared is when I listened to those particular people sharing, they were sharing. So like the person who had the little bubble over their head that said serial killer was sharing about their frustration with relationship and how their own particular complex would arise in relationship and they would murder the relationship. And, and they, so they were basically talking about being a serial killer. And the same thing happened with the vampires and the werewolves and the zombies and all of these, you know, sort of quote unquote monsters in the room. But it was fascinating to realize that by the end of the week, everyone who'd had a little bubble, a little caption, had described the very pattern of behavior for themselves in their own frustrations and their own lives. And I, I, this experience was really interesting to me. And so I started thinking, and, I, and I've always been thinking about why do these iconic bad guys remain so prevalent in our lives? And, and then, of course, then it started exploding all over TV, right? All over. We've got vampires, we got, you know, and books, and now all of this stuff is everywhere, right? And it, so, so why? So what's going on? What's the point? How can this possibly be made useful? Well, Paul actually told us how last week, but I want to try to connect the dots a little better this week. So what we were discussing, one of the things that um, Paul brought up is is a piece from Jung's work, which, of course, there are many valuable pieces from Jung's work. But Jung's opinion was that one of the worst sins occurs when we, the living here, have the possibility of becoming conscious – of an unconscious content. In other words, in English, in other words, we have the possibility of coming conscious of something within ourselves we are un- not aware of. And that it's emerging in that as this energy is emerging into consciousness, in other words, our, the circumstances of our life are bringing this formerly unconscious self into consciousness, that we choose not to become aware that we, we remain now artificially, unnecessarily, and willfully, to quote Young, artificially, unnecessarily, and willfully unconscious. So one of the really powerful teachings of shamanism and a very overt part of the teachings in the cycle of transformation is using life intentionally as a teacher. And this is what Jung is talking about, that our life will bring to us the, what, is, what is next in the queue, in the unconscious queue. We'll bring it to our awareness. Our life will bring it there. We need to learn how to recognize those signs and to use them. And Jung is talking about something far, far worse than just being unskillful and unable to figure out how to do with what life how to do something with what life is handing us. Jung is talking about artificially, unnecessarily, and willfully choosing to go back asleep, to go back into denial. Because it's not unconscious anymore. Now, now you're choosing to be unconscious. And so a big piece of the shamanism that I teach is using life as the teacher that it is and understanding how to be in an effective dialogue 
in essence, with what life is showing you you're ready to become conscious of. And so last week when I asked Paul, you know, where people could begin, he gave a very responsible answer, which was that this was a really big question and it's a big issue. And that's true. And we need to start somewhere. And what I want to explore today is where to begin. Because one of the other core values of the cosmology of shamanism I teach is that it's not idealized. The core value is we today, the living, are in a broken system. There's no way around that. There's no way to wait until it's fixed so we can do it as our traditional shamanic people did. We have to approach our shamanic work on that assumption that the system we live in is broken, things are a mess, there will not be a good container, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We can't just import traditional shamanic practices because we do not have the cultural situation to contain them well. It won't work well, but it will work well. This is the theory at the core of last mass teachings. It will work well if we understand we're in a broken system. Welcome to the world today. And we are able, just like our shamanic ancestors, to ask the questions. And in the asking of the questions, to get the teachings that we need for today. And that is at the core. And it's what makes what I teach different. And why I am honest about being non-traditional shamanism. Because I do not actually believe traditional shamanism imported as if we have some kind of healthy cultural norm going on here is going to be as effective as using our shamanic skills to ask what would be most effective today. But anyway, I'm digressing. So let me get back to the point. The point is, how do we begin? Okay, so... Remember, we're not talking about simply shining our light on the inner witch or the inner vampire as if in my great consciousness, I'm going to expose some evil over there, right? Even if it's inside that whole sense that, that I am just going to beam my great love and light on my inner witch and she will say, help me, I'm melting and go away because I'm so profoundly... Uh, transmuted and aligned with the divine. It isn't going to work because I chose to create my inner witch, inner vampire, inner werewolf. And I need to unchoose it consciously and intentionally. And the only way to do that is in relationship with it, not a projected relationship of blaming it over there and naming it and sending it over that way, but to actually come into relationship vulnerably and openly, come into relationship with that inner energy to to allow the process to illuminate the light resident within it. Again, I'm not blasting it with my light, but I am engaging it in such a way to illuminate its own light. And this is what Paul talks beautifully about in his book. And I, again, strongly encourage you to get um, his book on Wetiko. And that was last week's show. So moving along to the question, though, which is, so where do we begin? 
Okay, so I'm moving on here. So you need to do this, as I was saying, for yourself. No matter how many real energies your shamanic healer extracts or depossesses from you, you will continue to attract the same energy until you address the same pattern within yourself. And the same is true with me. So, And you have to address it, not the energy healer, the Reiki master, or the shaman, or any other kind of healer, or plant hallucinogen. Because this relationship is between you and this inner self. And it was forged by your choices long ago in the past. And it is only a new choice that will change it. And only you can make a new choice. Because no one can access your free will but you. And so the really important thing we're talking about today and with Paul last week is the ways in which we give other energies permission to use our free will. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is problematic for this one reason, to to not even get into all of the problems that creates in the world and all the karma you're creating for yourself. In the end of your life, when you have to account for your life and your energy, you will be responsible held accountable for everything created with your power and your free will, even if you abdicated the right to use it to all of these energies. So step up, folks. We've got some work to do. So how do we work with these energies then that are here but not here? You know, the witches, the vampires, the werewolves, they're they're here, but they're not here. They're not manifest. So we're going to use an example, which I have permission to use, and, I, and it's changed a little bit from reality. But what happened, really, um, after the radio show, I have a whole day full of phone sessions. And after talking with Paul, it's like every phone session emerged with me saying, you need to go buy Paul's book. I mean, this, is so, this issue is so prevalent, um, Especially in shamanism, when you can ask the shaman to do the depossession, do the extraction, and so the witch, the vampire, the werewolf, the energy does feel like something over there, something apart from you. But the critical thing to ask yourself is, well, why was it that energy? Why did that energy attach itself to me? That's really the key question here today. So... There's one client in particular, a student actually, who offered a really beautiful manifestation of this situation. And now by saying that it was this spectacularly beautiful manifestation, I'm not saying that she was spectacularly messed up. I'm just saying because she's actually skilled and journeys and participates very actively in her own healing, there was a very clear dialogue, a very clear sense of what was going on and what wasn't going on. Um, and so I'm going to use that as we go through this, this show here today. So here's the basic story. Okay, so this student is actively using her skill set to manifest her dreams. You know, bravo. And the focus in this particular time of manifestation in her life is focusing on financial abundance and finding true love. Sounds good. 
Boy meets girl, income starts rolling in, all is well in the universe. Manifestation is working. Enter to the story, then, the other woman. So issues are aroused, uh, which I'm not going to go into into detail in the moment because I don't want to get distracted from the witch part of the story. Um, so don't get distracted by all the other stuff that's going on in the story because that stuff was addressed responsibly and um, thoroughly. I just want to stay focused on one part of this story that does connect with this energy of the other woman. Um, so let's just stay focused on this and trust me when I say that the other related issues were dealt with and are being dealt with very well. Okay, so issues arise, um, witches come in, and um, boy and girl part company. Then the income stops rolling in. Then the health starts declining at a frightening speed. So all of that part is very suspicious. That boy and girl meet and part isn't so suspicious. But that then it correlates with the income crashing and the health crashing, that's suspicious. So the first thing we need to look at is unhook finding true love from abundant resources. So abundant resources in life have to do with the part of our life that is actually connected to very real life and death survival. Um, Not that we should focus on just surviving, that we certainly are capable of thriving. But it's very important that you need your own direct relationship with abundant resources and survival in and of themselves. And then you can create relationships with other things in your life that you'd like to manifest. Right? But it's important not to hook them together. So another example would be I had a friend who had a multi-million dollar business that operated out of her garage, which had been remodeled to support the business and a beautiful house. And she was bound and determined because she believed she'd been given divinatory message to sell that house and that business together. Now, of course, finding someone who actually wanted that house and wanted to run that business gave the universe an incredible challenge around manifestation to manifest the perfectly right buyer who wanted both. And as a consequence of holding on to her idea that these two things had to happen together, she lost everything in both. Lost money on the house, lost money on the business. And so again, it it, it is really important in life to not get these new age, happy, everything happens in a perfect bubble kind of manifestation dreams, but be more sober about that. So anyway, that's still not the point of the show. So let me move along. So that was the first thing. So That gets sorted out. So we address this shamanically, health recovers for a bit, and then declines again at a very scary pace. And before things slip too far um, into the the poor health piece, uh, the student's able to journey and is shown that the other woman is in cahoots with the witches and that whatever they had set in motion was still in motion. And um, what she said about her journey is she... um, had been feeling the energy of the other woman lately, even though there was really no reason to. Um, But she hadn't really thought much of it. But then when she went in the journey asking other questions about her health, she was shown in the journey um, that the witch that had come in with the other woman was using voodoo on the student, was pouring out her hate in the pins and tearing at the dolls saying, may you be fat, ugly, and alone and never find love, and then chanting over a pool of water. So these are all images of of, um, curse work. 
um, in, in coming in the journey. Now, uh, the important thing to note in this process is that the other woman is not in and of herself skilled. So even with the clarity of this journey, it is still not clear uh, whether or not the other woman is intentionally in cahoots with the witches or with sorcery, meaning she's gone somewhere to someone who is skilled and said, here's some money, please curse this person, or whether her relationship with this energy is entirely unintentional. And it's the unintentional part that's actually possibility that's actually most interesting. Because that would mean that in the other woman's denial of her own inner pain and her desire to manifest what she wants in life at all costs, that she would be setting herself up to carry the witch energy unconsciously, just like Paul was talking about setting ourselves up to be vulnerable to carry the Wetiko virus, to carry evil. That um, in a sense then, when, when we deny our pain, but want what we want anyway, at all cost, then we set ourselves up to be used, as, un, as unintentional as that might be, versus understanding that the pain in our life is in our life because it is the path to what we want. The fundamental piece here is not so much about trusting spirit, it's about trusting your life. Your life is in cahoots with your soul to bring you to your soul's purpose. So stop ignoring your life. In particular, stop ignoring the pain and suffering your life has brought you. It is the point. Not that pain and suffering is the point. It is the path, I should say. That we need to address these things fully and wholeheartedly and skillfully so that we can understand what our life is teaching us because it's teaching us in the direct way, the, the way to guide us directly to our soul's purpose. So that's why I find the idea that the other woman is being un- unintentionally used by the witches even more interesting. Okay, so we address this shamanically. Um, and we find in doing that a person who was living long in the past when the technologies around sorcery and doing harm in this way were much more prevalent and much more available. Not that they aren't happening today. But there have been certain times on the planet when this information was very vital, alive, and available. Okay, so in other words, there was a woman at some time who chose to become a witch uh, uh, for her own reasons. And at her natural death, she found a way to supernaturally carry on her harmful work. This is someone who is very vengeful. Um, as long and there are some people that have experienced great pain in life and their vengefulness is simply an expression of that. Anyway, so what the witch found is that as long as there were other living women who willfully denied their pain and, mani- and were wanting them to manifest what they wanted at all costs, that her harmful magic could be renewed and stay in motion through them. And so our, the other woman in our story was, was one of many women over many eras that was being used by this witch to keep her magic alive, un- mostly unintentionally by these women. So the healing then requires healing the witch and her original pain. What was it in her life that she denied 
that made I'll become a witch seem like a really great job choice. And so then there was all the things that were necessary to unravel the curses that she'd set in motion throughout time and stop that whole dynamic. And then there's the offering to heal the other woman and the pain that she's denying that's making her fodder for the witch's energy. Now we can't do it to her because she's living and she has free will and she hasn't asked for our help but we can certainly place the possibility of this healing in her sphere of influence and let she and her helping spirits work that out and then we need to clear things with the student and so we do this the health recovers for a bit and then it declines again Um, and again at a very scary sort of unnatural pace so before things slip too far she's once again able to journey and is shown that the witchcraft is still active and that it is the cause of her health issues Um, and she says from her journey I can as I go into the journey I can hear the words I can see you my pretty right out of Wizard of Oz right so we're now beginning to talk so as I'm listening to this, I realize we are now beginning to talk about the cultural icon of the witch. We're no longer really talking about the witch that really was there, who was not manifest but was present. Now we're talking about witch in an even more impersonal sense, a more iconic sense. So I can see you, my pretty. Um, and she sees her working with the doll of the student. And so the student sets up mirrors around her in a circle uh, so that whatever energy she is, ex- ex- is sending out is reflected back to her. But the witch flies in and smashes the mirrors. Um, and then the witch comes right up to her in the journey, looks her right in the face and says, I'm not done with you yet. And so the student exits the journey. Now, granted, there's a lot of issues here, but let's stick with the witches. So the first issue is um, that the important thing is not stopping the source of the intrusion or the manipulation because we are not very powerful getting other people to do or to not do things. The important thing is to become impervious to invasive energies and manipulation within ourselves because we are enormously powerful on ourselves in the moment. The mirrors needed to be around the student bouncing back whatever was being sent in. That uh, it was technically actually invasive, creative, but invasive to place the mirrors in the witch slash other woman space. Right, And that's why she could break them. They were a great idea. They were just put in the wrong place because they were put in a place where the other woman slash witch was powerful because it was her space. And that's the other thing we have to understand always. Whenever we're trying to understand what to do, we have the most power on ourselves in the moment. And we don't have the right to manipulate other people and other energies, but we have the ability within ourselves through this clearing work to make ourselves impervious, to make ourselves um, impenetrable and uninteresting to these energies. So the counsel was to focus on yourself, make the changes in yourself, make yourself impervious to invasion and manipulation, all invasion and all manipulation, not just this particular person or particular witches. 
And so we, we looked at this further because I, because knowing we're not talking about a particular witch anymore, we're now talking about witch as an invasive, particularly invasive kind of energy. We have to start asking why witches, why not vampires? Why not werewolves? Why not the living dead? Why not a serial killer? Why witches? Witches now are the life starting to tell us what are we looking for? And so the main issue then, which was part of the dynamic with the student, was to say the energy at issue is the way in which you got from your father, and we already knew this from past healing work, that to be lovable, attractive, desirable, and even a sexy woman, you needed to be vulnerable, literally and energetically. In other words, being taught as a child through the relationship of the father, which was problematic, and we already know this from past working with the student that this problematic energy has set her up energetically to override natural instincts for protection and to set herself up so that the cultivation of her own attractiveness and lovableness and desirableness and her own sexiness is uh, requires an unnatural and unauthentic and dangerous level of vulnerability and i'm not talking about emotional vulnerability i'm talking about energy body violating your natural instinct for protection and setting up a habit of energy that invites invasion um so what this old pattern with the father set up is as she became a woman more fully powerful more fully desirable she also became more and more energetically vulnerable and this is the errant belief and that's the piece that has to stop and so her work continues i mean this is you know i'm very much um bringing just the essence of this so we can talk particularly about invasive the invasive energy part of this so her work continues and what's interesting is her work continues but the witches keep showing up at every turn in her process and when i talk with her i can see that there are certain assumptions that are very natural assumptions that are being made and this is very typical um, when we have these other energies, especially when we're working shamanically, because in a shamanic world, there are energies that need to be extracted and depossessed. I mean, that, that, that's a very real thing that there are things that have no form that are present and problematic and they need to be dealt with. And so it's very easy to, to articulate things in our vision of it in that way. And so these assumptions being made were quite normal and it's very typical to make them. Um, and because there was a witch and there is the other woman in real time still at play, there's the assumption that this is the same witchcraft still happening. But what, what, what I pointed out is that there are things that we know. And it's important sometimes to step back really sober and say, wait a minute. So in this case, that would be one. We know the original witch and her work was cleared. And we double and triple checked that shamanically. Okay. We know that the other woman is not skilled enough to be overwhelming this student's skill like this. And so we can't keep giving her that energy, that assumption, because we know for a fact that she's just an everyday woman looking for her true love as well. Um, we know that the student, the student herself is highly skilled. And is able to protect herself and has excellent spirit help. 
We also know that her spirit help is not particularly distressed. So for example, if someone is really um, being invaded by external energies, the spirit help gets very distressed in its ability or inability to protect the person. And you can see that in the behavior of the spirit help. And frankly, I was talking with another student recently, I could see it in the behavior of her pets, that everything around her that loved her was upset by this invasion and by their inability to protect her. And so that was another thing that was interesting with this particular student is the helping spirits weren't distressed. They were participating, but they weren't distressed, which was interesting. And yet the witches kept showing up. So there were many more journeys and healings and, and other parts of the story. But the theme here is just that the witches just don't go away. So why are the witches showing up? Why not vampires? Why not werewolves? Because the student has an inner witch. She has, as a result of the pain and pattern set up in her childhood, developed an inner self who is driven by inner pain to harm others with skill and magical abuse of power. So it's a witch. It's not an inner vampire, not an inner zombie. It's an inner witch. And it's not just, well, she needs a soul retrieval. Well, everybody who's thinking that, she's had them. She's integrating them. It's not about needing a soul retrieval. Now, yes, she did. And she got them and she is integrating them. Yes, that's part of this whole big picture. But another part that we miss because it's not taught in shamanism today, unless you're studying with me, is this piece of your own part in this dynamic. You are part of the dynamic. You are part of the relationships. The only explanation for this situation is that she has an inner witch. And the presence of the inner witch, which she created through her own choices, calls in the outer witches. Her life is trying desperately to get her to see the inner witch. And she's doing a beautiful job of it, actually. And because she's journeying well and she's being honest, she's seeing witch after witch after witch. And this is her life, her journey life and her everyday life communicating to her, find the inner witch. It's not about anything going on outside of herself. So why would this be? Why would we have an inner witch, an inner vampire, an inner werewolf, an inner zombie, an inner serial killer, an inner Jekyll and Hyde? Why, why would we do that? Well, usually because as children, our own natural protective development is stopped from protecting us. Um, and this happens especially and particularly when the perpetrator in our life is a parent. That our desire to love the parent and be loved by the parent, our desperate need for the parent to care for us because we are children and we are dependent on them, overrides our natural instinct for protection. And I've watched this in families with children of different ages where you have a a first child or a grown-up child that's actually protecting the younger children. And so the younger children don't have such a distorted sense of self-protection as the first children do, particularly the first child when when the parents are the problem. And so you see the first kids have have a really 
messy relationship around protection, grounding, boundaries, very confused beliefs about what their rights are, basically, energetically. Whereas many of the younger kids are not so messed up that their natural instinct towards protection is left more intact because the older kids ran interference for them and allowed their natural instincts around protection to um, forge themselves. But the reason we create these inner bad guys is because in the dynamic in our early life with parents or the church or the school or the whatever, we divert or stop or some way keep our inner protector from doing its job. And so we won't let it protect us openly and honestly. And so it gets shoved in the shadow. And it where it will continue to endeavor to protect us. But it can't do it anymore openly and honestly because now it's in the shadow. So it will do it dishonestly. And it will do it by all costs. And it will start making us think that becoming a witch or a vampire or a werewolf or a troll or whatever to get what we want in life is precisely the right path. And so the student was instructed to find and clear her inner witch, which at that point she understood, although she wasn't exactly sure how to do that. Granted. So how do we clear an inner witch or an inner vampire, werewolf or zombie? So first off, this student asked the perfect question. And this is at at this point, I asked if I could use your process to illuminate this on the show. Because this process shows that there was a real witch. And it got dealt with shamanically and witchness persisted. And it shows the difference between when there is an energy that truly needs to be extracted and when we're now just getting into this repeating pattern because it's really talking about the internal witch, the inner witch that called the witchcraft into the dynamic in the first place. Remember in the beginning of the story, boy meets girl, everybody was happy, incomes coming up, all is well in the universe. Then enter the other woman who brings in the witch, right? It got called in by the inner witch. The inner witch wants out of the shadow so that it can do what it's really meant to do. So the student asks this really great question. She says, could you please clarify something for me? See, she was even asked nicely. When you say I need to clear the energy of my inner witch, do you mean transform the energy or remove the energy? Very good question. The important thing to understand about shadow energies, which I have discussed in other shows, is that you do not want to clear them or remove them or kill them off. You can't, actually. Because shadow energies are you. The inner witch is her, is some aspect of herself that actually has an ally form, is an ally to her true self. But it's not functioning that way. Because it's in the shadow. Well, because of all of the things that happened that caused it to be shoved into the shadow. Okay. So the question, do I transform it or do I remove it, is excellent. Because this inner energy, the inner witch in this situation, must be transformed. Not just cleared or released. You can't actually just clear it. That would be fruitless effort. 
So that's important to understand. And now the other thing that's important to understand is I do not agree with um, psychological processes that say that you should integrate the inner witch. I do not agree that the inner witch is an, is an inner illness, that the inner witch is not authentic in her form. The inner witch is, just, is a distortion of an energy which does ultimately need to be integrated. But I do not believe these processes that encourage you to identify shadow energies and integrate them directly are, I believe they are wrong-minded and that they misunderstand what is actually happening energetically when an aspect of ourself gets judged or feared to the degree that it ends up in the shadow. So, how do you transform the inner witch? First, you must trust your life, which goes back to the beginning of this show. You must trust your life and what it has given you and what it continues to give you. If the witch is showing up, or the vampire or the werewolf or whatever, but if it is showing up in your life, you are ready to transform it. It would not show up if you were not ready. And you have to trust that because by the very nature of it being a shadow energy, it will convince you you can't do it. You shouldn't do it. You're afraid of doing it. Don't do it. Stop. That's what will happen. And you need to know that so that you do not bail. Trust your life. Your life and your soul are smarter than your mind. Your mind in this process has one job, which is to track this energy. And otherwise, you need to be very suspicious of what goes on in your mind. So the first thing to do is to find it. Now, hopefully, you can just ask politely to, be, to meet your inner witch. And if that doesn't work, we may have to deal with that. But, and then there's some deeper shamanic processes for really mining that energy. But hopefully, you could, if, if your life is bringing it up, like in this case, everywhere, hopefully your inner world will illuminate that inner self. So now as soon as you connect with the inner witch, you are going to be flooded every step of the way with either the fears or the judgments as totally reality ideas of why this is a bad idea. They will come up. If they're not coming up, you haven't actually tapped the real energy yet. Because what you're being shown is what your mind believes that has relegated this energy to the shadow in the first place. And it is important that you track the fears or the judgments all the way to their original beliefs. The beliefs that support why you should fear this energy or why you should judge this energy in this way. Because it is those beliefs that you need to undermine and transform. Now, that's not the whole transformation. It's just a step in the process. And, and that these will arise along the, along the way of the process because there are usually many. And it's important every time some reason you should stop and not do this comes up, you need to trust your life, trust it's the right time, and go for the belief that supports the fear. What is the belief that supports the judgment and undermine that belief? The next thing to do is that you must begin to then let go of the things in along this process that it's apparent they must now die. 
some of these beliefs need to die, the judgments, the fears, these things that are uncovered that no longer suit you, that are, have been outmoded by your growth, that you understand now are simply untrue, they must die. So it's not the witch, but these aspects of your relationship with the witch that are no longer valid and they must die. And it's very possible that you will need to be doing this um, as death ritual one way or another that it's not going to be enough to just decide but it's very very possible that these things need these energies need to go into power objects and the power objects need to go into a ritual like a fire ritual potentially an earth ritual but that they need to be cleansed they need to die they need to they need to somehow be uh released entirely so it's important to remember you know in that in that process that you're not killing the witch you are transforming the witch through love, not death. But there will need to be things that die in your relationship with the witch along the way. And then, of course, back to what I've already said, you are not integrating the witch. She is a distortion of you. You are transforming her. You are returning her to her original form. Now, the original form is an ally, and it allies to your true self. And once you've transformed the witch, tracking her real powers into her original form, and you can feel that the form is an ally, and you can feel how it allies with your true self, then you integrate the ally. And that, my friends, is how you transform an inner witch or an inner whatever. So... I give thanks to all of the spirits that have worked tirelessly with me for two decades to help me to understand that and to Phyllis Pay for teaching me the basic skills for actually doing that work. So that I have much gratitude to be able to even put this into an hour-long show for you here today. I give thanks to the ancestors for gathering with us here today, for the earth below, the sky above, the heart that unites us all, the generous student who is willing to let us work with her story so I would have something to talk about with you. And I just give thanks, frankly, for all of it. So everyone, engage gratitude. Go find an inner witch, vampire, werewolf, or a zombie within yourself this week and begin your own process of discovering your own true ally. Have a great week. <laughs>